I'm Sally Ann from Map the Maze. I'm Patricia Falchetta from Social Living Solutions. Together we speak about nurturing neurodiversity. All the ways we can create a truly inclusive society. We aim to educate, inspire and create social change. Through sharing stories, experiences and research, we challenge current systems and open dialogue on what we can all do to create change. We hope you will join us on our journey. Welcome to the Nurturing Neurodiversity podcast. Patricia and I are so excited to welcome our first guest to the show, the beautiful Carly Marie. Carly is a writer of world-changing words, a leader of life-changing online experiences, and a personal mentor to a select few superstars. Welcome, Carly, and thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. So I first came across Carly, um, it's a couple of years ago now, and she was this woman that I found online who was talking about this thing called soul modes. And I was like, what is this all about? Um, and from there, you wrote a book, you did a documentary, you um, hosted a, a preview, like a, an in-person preview of that documentary, which I went to. Um, there's been lots of things that have come from that and courses and all sorts of things that have come from that. Would you like to give us a little bit of an overview of what Soul Modes is? Yeah, absolutely. So it's a huge part of my life's work. Um, and the I guess more people are learning about it all of the time, but it's really only been part of the conversation for a couple of years now. Basically, I, I just spotted something. I just discovered a pattern and I sort of built a theory around it. And I presented this theory in my book about, uh, I say women, what I mean is feminine core people. So some men relate with it and some women don't. And it seems to be based on where you sit on that kind of spectrum of masculine feminine. And of course, some people kind of move up and down. But if you sort of feel feminine at your core, there's a good chance you're going to resonate with what's in my book. And what I teach is basically these four modes. We move through these four modes. And when I say that, a lot of people are like, oh, like the menstrual cycle thing. And I'm like, no, it's not that. Um, it seems to move much more quickly than that. It's not like you go through four different you know, phases over the course of a month. You go through these four modes um, dependent on how, I guess, how quickly you're filling your cup, how quickly you're giving your soul what it's asking for, because in each of these four modes, our soul is asking us for something different. Um, so it's a reason why some days, and, and I talk about it under the banner of motivational intelligence. It helps us to understand what is driving us so we can work more with our own natural nature rather than against it. So we're not trying to force ourselves to do things at a time when it actually doesn't make sense and working with our own natural energy flow. So it's a way of tracking your energy flow and riding the wave of it rather than fighting against it and wondering why you're exhausted and falling in a heap and relying on a whole lot of coffee and a whole lot of wine and all of those things to kind of get through the day. And so it's been pretty profound for a whole bunch of people. And, and I'm really, you know, proud and excited to be doing this work and to see where it goes. Um, I talk about all sorts of things, but for, for a lot of people, as you said, Sammy, for a lot of people, soul modes is what brings them in. And then they end up, you know, soul modes is what they come for and, and they stay for, you know, the rest of the, of the wisdom. Yeah. <laughs> I speak on business. I speak on homeschooling. I speak on whatever's on my heart that day. Um, and it seems to really all be about freedom and about really 
um, I guess, you know, I talk about the land of plenty lies outside the cage of conditioning. So it absolutely, you know, fits in with what you guys talk about around how much conditioning is fed to us from the moment we open our eyes um, and the labels and the rules and the requirements and how so much of just what happens in society is actually a whole bunch of stupid rules that don't make any sense at all. And often it's, you know, neurodivergent people who kind of go, um, that's ridiculous. Why? Who says? Who says eye contact equals respect? Who says <laughs> nine till three sitting in a classroom is the best way to learn? And, um, and I guess almost is kind of a part of that of like, who says that, you know, you need to have a morning routine that's the same every day because you're not in the same energy every day. So that doesn't make sense to me. So um, all of these, we could go in any number of directions, mm-hmm. here, but let's see which direction it goes in. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I, I actually, um, I was really excited to talk to you and just to give people a bit of an overview and hopefully they will go and, you know, find your work. Obviously all your links will be in the description of the show notes because I actually think Patricia and I were having a bit of a chat about it earlier to, to sort of see whether as a neurodiverse person, Patricia related to it, because I actually think there's a lot of value in that, even for neurodiverse people. I think that, again, like you said, it's a spectrum, right? So there would be a spectrum of people that would either resonate with it or not, but it, it gives a, a different... Um, a different predictability of, of how you're going to feel each day or, or what you're going to be faced with each day. Right. And, and, it, and it gives you another clue into why you might be feeling a certain way. And I think um, for neurodiverse people, there's so much of their day that that is forced because they're forced to live in this neurotypical world that says, you must do this. You must do that. You know, this is the expected behavior. This is not. And so there's a lot of masking going on, or there's a lot of ostracization, ostracization, you know what I'm trying to say, where um, if, they're, if they're not ticking those boxes, if they're not fitting that mould, if they're not masking effectively enough, then they're effectively cast aside and said, well, you're not, you know, you're not good enough. Um, and, you know, being able to, you know, there's often a lot of talk about, you know, structures and routines and things are effective for neurodiverse people. But I think this gives you another opportunity of how you can work with those routines, because I think like anything, often we want to give ourselves routines, which is usually in super mode. We want to give ourselves routines to put a structure to our day and then find ourselves fighting against it every minute of the day. And it's like, why do I do that to myself? And this explains why, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And different people, you know, we talk about, you know, people who are neurodivergent, right? Like not typical. And in that group, we've got people with ADHD, we've got people um, on the autism spectrum, like there are people who experience different things in really different ways. So it's not like there's this, there's neurotypical over here, neurodivergent over there, two groups, right? It's not this kind of like binary thing. So it's really interesting to talk to different people who have had different lived experiences, right? Like I've, I've spoken to women with ADHD, whether they've been diagnosed or it's just something they identify with, right? Um, And they're like, oh my God, I moved through the mode so quickly, you know? And then there's other people who might be like, yeah, I'm pretty sure I'm on the spectrum and I don't think I have a sparkle mode. You know, it's just, it's fascinating. And this is the thing about soul modes is this great big lifelong research project for me. It's not something I've just here, I figured out, I've nailed it. There you go. It's like, let's have conversations about, and I'm having conversations with different people from different backgrounds, different lived experiences. And it is absolutely fascinating. And it's just burning down boxes left, right and center, which we we've got to be doing because the boxes are suffocating people. What was the quote that you said before at the beginning? You said, um, the land of plenty lies outside the cage of conditioning. 
Yeah, I love that. I absolutely love that. I don't think I've heard that. Um, heard you say heard you say that before, but I love that because that is. And you know what you're talking about with boxing. That is my that is my passion, and I would say it's probably Sammy's as well. Passion, as in, let's get rid of these labels. Let's get rid of these boxes. Let's get let's accept that. There are all these, there's no normal, you know, in inverted commas, there's no, that there are just people are just people and people and there are neurodiverse, neurodiverse brains and there you're, you know, there are creatives, people that think up, you know, come up with these amazing, you know, um, you know, the amazing problem solvers that come up with amazing ideas, all that sort of stuff. And, you know, and then there are neurotypical people, but there are also neurotypical people that have some of those capabilities and strengths as well so let's just get rid of all that labeling and trying to compartmentalize people and let's just let people let's just let people be and let's stop judging everybody and let's just get on with it and you know interestingly like even with you know diversity in general whether it's sexuality whether it's you this thing about being neurodiverse and neurotypical, whether it's color race whatever it is it's just all diversity and we're just all different you know and the same thing comes into the you know whole thing with um you know now because there's a lot more you know we're so much more aware of lgbtqi and all that sort of stuff that they're just there's no normal no one you know this there is no normal and i think that that's the thing that we really really have to work towards our society being more fluid and more accepting that that there that there that there is this this fluidity and this change and this these very creative people and that they're here, you know, they're here for a reason as much as someone else is here, whatever that, whatever that reason is. And, um, and but yeah, I love that. that. Love yeah. that. As you say that, Patricia, yeah. it, it, it makes me think about even because I like in terms of all of the boxes and the things I'm fairly well in the normal range. Right. And even as a normal person, I'm made to feel like I'm not good enough. Like I'm, boring or mm. like you know there's so many things about myself that I need to change because that's the that's kind of the capitalist world western world that we live in yeah where nothing yeah. is actually good enough so regardless of where you sit you're going to get something wrong so can we just get rid of that system because that's not helpful mm. for anybody I love just because yeah. it's a podcast I want to point out that Sammy used the inverted commas two fingers yeah. when she said normal person yeah normal yeah I guess exactly because yeah the, what, what is that what is that that's the thing. No. There's been some people really close to me recently who have had a diagnosis, for example, and having that has been extraordinarily freeing and empowering for them because it's given them a way to be able to look things up and, so, and go, oh my gosh, there's all these other people. Like it's giving them an identifier um, that they can be like, oh my gosh, this isn't, I'm not the only one because they kind of lie outside of what they've seen as the norm in inverted commas as they've been growing up, that that's been really powerful. And then it's interesting to say that I love that, that conversation, Patricia, around like, let's get to a point where we don't need those labels anymore, where that's not mm. a thing because, mm. because we're so much more aware of the lived experience of people who are outside of what has been the typical narrative and therefore what society has been set up to support, right? It's like, well, if your brain works like this, then our system's great for you. So we're, you know, we're good to go. And so I, I, I hope to see a world where the labels aren't so much of a thing. I think as we are in this real system of change and increasing awareness in this real like period of change, 
I think that for a lot of people, they're really empowering. And I resisted for a long time. My daughter, we're going through a diagnosis path with my daughter right now. And I resisted mm. for such a long time. I don't want her to have a label. I'm not giving mm. her a label. I'm not giving her the stigma that comes with the label. And when reaching out to other parents of kids who have been down this, uh, parents of kids who have been down this path and having them say, it's actually, <laughs> it's actually a, a really beautiful gift in a way and if you can help them to understand that it's it's a superpower, it's not a disorder, and I think we need to change some of these goddamn labels. Yes. It's not a disorder or a deficiency. It's a friggin' superpower. You're just, you just think differently to this other group of people. Um, oh. Gosh, I look forward to seeing, you know, where we end up when people are having these kind of conversations and people listening to these kind of podcasts. It's just yeah. it's exciting and yeah. <laughs> I'm glad to be a part of it. So Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, no, I was going to say, Carly, my, I'm writing a book and it is called Putting the Awesome into Autism, Turning Disability into This Ability. Ah, so very take, cool. Yeah, because you know, because part of my thing exactly is taking the word disorder out. It's taking uh, syndrome, Asperger's syndrome. It's taking all of syndrome disorder, all of those negative words out. We just yeah. we don't need them. Like we just you know this like let's you know just you know that they have this you know this word of disability that they you know all the, yeah. That sort of thing. Yeah. Well, our whole our whole first episode of um of this podcast is actually about ne- what what is neurodiversity because the idea of neurodiversity is that it's an identity model, a, a social model as opposed to this medical model that we've been working within for so long. Because the medical model is the one that views it as a deficit, as something that's outside or wrong or something that needs to be fixed. And actually, we're really moving towards the school of thought that no people just have different ways of viewing things, different ways of thinking. And we shouldn't be trying to squash that because that's what our world needs. We, we, we don't mm. need more people that think the same, that, mm. you know, come out with the same ideas and the same abilities. We actually need people that are, are, are different. We need people who can think differently, who can um, come up with ideas, who can look at this kind of stuff and go, that's not right. And we go, oh yeah, thanks for pointing that out. Cause I couldn't see it. Cause I was so in it myself that I couldn't see it. Um, so yeah, I think it's, it's such an important conversation to have. And it really relates to, um, what I was kind of going to ask you about next Carly, because i I know you've been on a real big journey with learning about neurodiversity and what it means, um, and particularly what it means for your family and for your daughter. Um, what did it look like for you at, at the beginning of this journey when you, when you just first sort of, sort of started suspecting that maybe she, she wasn't thinking the way that other people think? Mm. Well, Oh, you know, the typical kind of what's wrong with my kid. Um, There must be something wrong with my parenting. If I can just learn to parent better, um, it'll fix the problem kind of thing because she was just kind of different. And then it it really became a thing when school happened. Um, And then school was getting kind of hard and she was coming home pretty stressed and pretty exhausted. And then we went into lockdown um, this is all kind of new, right? We went into lockdown, the first lockdown in Melbourne, maybe a year ago, whatever it was, a year and a bit. And I had, I was about to start a diagnosis path at that time because things were really hard. Being a mum was really hard. Supporting my daughter um, to feel her feelings and all of that and setting up an environment in which she could thrive was really, really, really hard. So I'm like, I need some help. Something is up here. I need some help. And then we went into lockdowns. I couldn't do any of that. No one was taking any of those kind of appointments. 
Um, so we had a couple of weeks of, we'd just been to Bali. So we'd already had a couple of weeks away from school. Then we came home and had to do our two weeks quarantine. So then we're a month into no school and then lockdown happens. So we're looking at more time, no school. And we just started to see our daughter come back. I was like, I've got my daughter back. She's not miserable and exhausted and, and constantly lashing out and constantly angry and tense. And, and it was amazing. I was like, some, this, this is something in this. And so long story short, we decided to homeschool. Um, and I have a much happier child. Uh, so she went back to school. My partner's in the background, adding his two cents. Um, we tried to go back to school between the two lockdowns. We tried to go back to school and she came home. And she said, mum, I really want to homeschool. And she, this is like, she's six, she's seven, six at this stage, I think. And um, she said, mum, she took me in the eye really seriously and said, I want to be homeschooled. I don't want to go there anymore. And I was like, tell me why I talked to me about it. And we were able to have a calm, not upset conversation, which was really great about school. And she was like, you know, I want to go to the toilet. And the teacher says, I can't, I have to wait. And I'm like, I want my kid to be able to listen to her body and be like, I need to go to the toilet. I'm going to go to the toilet. Do you know what I mean? Like just those little things. And, um, and then I had a conversation with a teacher, something had happened at school and the teacher said, Oh, look, you know, Aria spoke to another student in a, in a way that was not appropriate today. She'd lashed out. She'd been obviously upset. She'd lashed out. She said some unkind things to another student. And I said to the teacher, I'm like, Oh my gosh, what happened in the lead up to that? And like what had caused her to react that way? And the teacher had this look of shock on her face, like shock that I would even ask that rather than just being in a state of horror that my child would speak in such a way. She was like, well, I mean, I don't know. They were just playing. And then, you know, she said this and I'm like, so I said, so what happened after? And she said, well, we had Aria write an apology letter. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, there's no emotional awareness being taught here. This is, and we were at a very expensive, very well-respected and renowned private school, um, beautiful school. Like I, I, this school was my dream to be able to send my kid to this school. And I was just like, this is, this is not okay. This is not in alignment with our values. And so I, she didn't go back. <laughs> when I'm done. I'm done. This system is BS and we're out. And so then COVID, we, we sort of dropped it. I'm like, we don't need, she doesn't need a diagnosis. She just needs to be homeschooled. And then more recently, um, I went, I was learning more about it. And um, her father actually went through a process of being diagnosed as his, I mean, I won't share his story, but he basically went through a diagnosis path and he came to me and he was like, this is really big for me. My whole life is suddenly coming, like becoming clear. And looking at so much trauma that he'd experienced as a result of just being misunderstood and being labeled as a bad kid, you know, growing up in the eighties, we didn't have this awareness and that's now playing out for him in adulthood. And he's like, I don't want this to be our daughter. And he's like, she's just like me. And so I went, okay, let's do this. And I booked a pediatrician appointment and we're now, you know, partway through that, what I imagine is going to be a pretty long process. Mm, Yeah. How old's your son, Carly? He's four. So he's yeah, my daughter's seven, my son's four. I co-parent my mm-hmm. daughter with my ex-husband and my son mm-hmm. I parent with my partner. Um and he was supposed to go to kinder. I'm like, he's my neurotypical kid. He'll happily go off to kinder. The system will work for him. That'll be fine. And then he tried to do kinder and he was like, um, 
this is ridiculous. I want to be home with you guys. You guys are doing all this fun stuff. You guys are, <laughs> I'm dropping him at kinder and taking my daughter on an excursion to the aquarium. I'm just like, hang on, why isn't he just coming? And then what I realized is that by the time he was starting kinder, he already knew how to write the alphabet, spell some basic words, doing maths, because he's sitting next to Aria while she's doing it. And so he's like, you know, has already learned all this cool stuff. I'm like, let's just keep going with it. And so he's homeschooled now too. And we're going to travel next year. So it kind of just makes sense. Yeah. 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 And tell me, tell me about the travel. Tell me about, share with the audience what your plans are for next year and why you've um, decided to do, just decided to do that. Yeah. Well, pretty cool. The beautiful thing about homeschooling is you're not tied to an area anymore. And I'm an author. I work wherever I am. Um, my partner's in the process of sort of semi-retiring and just doing projects as, as he chooses to. Um, he's not very good at sitting still, but um, he at the moment is fitting out a bus. We decided to buy a bus. We were like during um, COVID when it was uh, winter and we had this beautiful swimming pool that we couldn't use. I was like, imagine if we we're in Queensland, we'd be able to be in the swimming pool. So I'm like, what if we, what if we travel the East Coast? you know, from little Melbourne right up to the top. And then we go, hey, was there a spot along there that we like best? Let's pick the spot we like best and find a place there and build our dream home. So we're currently fitting out the bus and turning it into a tiny home because I'm not, I'm not into roughing it. I do want to live in luxury, but also have freedom. So he bought me a great big coach bus and um, he's a builder. So he's making it glorious. So it'll be sometime early next year. Once it's done, off we go traveled for six months or so. And um, we've worked that out with my ex-husband. He wants to make the move up there as well because he's severely asthmatic and he can breathe better in Queensland. So we're aiming to end up around about the same place and take my kids on a beautiful adventure along the way and teach them, you know, the, the real history of Australia as opposed to, you know, what's being taught at this point. Oh, oh. That's, that sounds very, very cool and very uh, awesome. And also to, you know, as you're saying, um, you know, uh, with your with your daughter being neurodiverse, and for your son as well, it'll be such a fantastic experience. And you know, the fact that you'll, you know, depending on how they wake up every day, you'll be able to work out what you're going to do, and um, you know, the activities, and exactly right what you're saying, what they're going to learn. Um, I'll just, I know a lady in New Zealand. Um, she, they, they, they actually have a Facebook page called us in a bus so us in a bus and they've done that exactly that in New Zealand with their kids and they have three boys and they just have the best time doing that like it's just so so um awesome so um I was just going to I wanted to um this is another question that I had for you so first of all what are both of you both of your children what do you see as um their strengths your daughter and your son yeah. Okay. So my daughter's really creative. Um, and the interesting thing about her is that it can, it can, it can appear that she struggles to focus, but if she's interested in something, try and get her to not focus on it. Like, like hyper-focus, right? She, 
if she's comfortable, this, one of the things is Aria can't focus if she's not moving. She needs to be moving. So she sits on a fit ball. Um, you know, she's a bit, she's quite sensory seeking. So I'll have a glass of ice cold water full of ice there and I'll have some crunchy things she can snack on and I'll put her on a fit ball. And, you know, we use apps for her learning that's a lot of colour and noise and movement. She loves it. So there's a lot of sensory input coming in, plus she's moving. You know, sometimes she has like this electronic music playing as well. I find it completely overwhelming. She finds it, yeah, cool, now I can focus. I'm like, are you joking me? Anyway, I couldn't create that at school for her, right? But no. when she's, when I give her, like when she has the ability to really focus on something, the idea of a bell ringing and her having to stop what she's doing would be like physically painful, I imagine, for her. So you let her focus on some Lego or anything creative, um, she'll leave a bloody awful mess, but she will really create incredible things. Um, she sets up beautiful experiences, you know, for her brother, they play schools and she'll, it's hilarious that she wants to play schools. I'm sure she's working out some of the memories that she's got, um, through play. They're, they're so bloody smart. These kids, the way they just little brains know what to do. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, she plays schools and she sets up and she teaches her brother and she's just, she's very creative and very intelligent and really able to focus on things when it's not okay, sit down. We need to do our maths now. She's, she loves animals. She's very connected to nature. She doesn't like being outside when it's raining, but anything animal related, she's just feels so connected to, to creatures. Um, And then Harry is my little, he reads energy. He's very empathetic. He wants everyone to feel happy. He will, he's just like his dad. He will really, do whatever he needs to do so that other people are happy. So I think probably my work with him is just going to be really to help him to also do what he wants to do. Right. Um, he's, he's an enthusiastic learner. He wants to learn about everything. He's just fascinated by life and just wants to learn about everything, constantly talking, constantly asking questions. He makes, it makes him very easy to homeschool. Mm. that was going to be my next question for you Carly around like what are some of the biggest things that you've noticed the difference between school and what you can do with homeschooling Mm. because like Mm. I think there's a lot of people who went through lockdown last year and went I could never homeschool my kids because what we were doing was we were trying to take the work that's set Mm -hmm. from school and do it at home and it's very, very different, right? So what's, what's some of the things that you found in your, um, your homeschooling journey that you've gone, okay, this could never happen at school. I think you already touched mm. on a few there in terms of yep. the sensory input you're able to give Aria, the fact that she can be moving, that she's not tied to a desk in order to demonstrate her learning. She's not tied to some worksheets to show you, to prove that she knows what she's talking about. As you yep. know, I'm very passionate about talking about those things. But yeah, is there anything that you've noticed where, and I think, I think Harry is a really great demonstration of this, that there's not a set curriculum. It's not like he's got to the point where he's learning some letters and okay, we better stop now because like that's the level that he's at. Yes. Take that as far as you like. Yeah. That's probably my favorite thing about it is that grades are irrelevant now Um, that they can both progress uh, faster. I mean, you know, we use this app, the app that we use, we love the most or Aria loves the most. Harry's moved on to Khan Academy recently, K-A-H-N. I'm sure you, sure you guys can put some links, I'm sure, but Harry's loving Khan Academy. But recently they were both loving Schoolbo, um, S-K-O-O-L-B-O. And it's just an app that we use. It's like $15 a month or something. It's pretty cheap, cheaper than private school, that's for sure. Um, and they, 
the cool thing I love about it is that it progresses them based on how they're going. They're not waiting for the rest of the classroom. And so it does like little quizzes and stuff and they get like a little reward, like this little animal to add to their little animal collection, which really appeals to Aria. Um, And she's such a little collector. And so it's like, it'll do, say it'll do like a multiplication quiz. And if a lot of the ones they're missing have a three in it. So it, it means that she's missed a bit of her three times tables. So then it'll show her a video and it just sort of steps into it naturally of the three times tables to a song. And then if she's still missing some that have got threes, I've noticed it'll show her a video of three times tables, which is counting by threes. So it keeps feeding her what she needs based on how she's going to fill in those gaps using algorithms, the same algorithms that run social media, which shows us what's relevant to us. So my kid is being shown exactly what's relevant to her based on where she's at, based on how she learns because these algorithms are tracking that. And I get emails every day going, here's how your kid's going. This is what they're, this is what they're getting. This is what they're working on, all of that. And it's brilliant. There is no way and like no disrespect to teachers. I think teaching is an incredible thing to choose to do in life, right? But there is no way a teacher with 20 kids in a classroom can have that degree of being on where every kid is at and filling in those gaps for them. I just, I absolutely love that, how tailored it is. And I actually have lately been using the term self-educating rather than homeschooling. Like people are like, why do you want homeschool? I'm like, well, you want a private education? It doesn't get any more private than this, <laughs> right? It doesn't get any more tailored than this. And I think the term homeschooling has been a little bit ruined by remote learning because so many people yes. have mistakenly called remote learning homeschooling. It's not, it's nothing like that. Remote learning was horrendous and so goddamn boring. We abandoned it within a day and a half and just did our own thing. I was on YouTube. We bought activity books. We were just, ma- I was just making it fun. You know, we were in quarantine. We'd been overseas. So like, let's make this as fun as we can. My, my kids can't see their family. They were looking forward to coming home too. So we made it fun. So remote learning, oh my God, please put that whole idea in the bin. It's nothing like that at all. It's, it's, it can be really fun and it can work with their, what they're into. You know, I can make anything work around the topic of animals. And Harry, I can make anything work around the topic of dinosaurs or superheroes, right? It's, it's quite amazing how easy it is to meet their needs. And everyone's worried about social needs. Oh my God, I've made some of the best friends in my life through homeschooling. My kids have so many friends, you know, I wouldn't have wanted to do this without Facebook and Facebook groups and being able to meet up with people that would have been really hard. But the people I've met are just some of the most incredible open hearted humans and their kids are incredible and their kids are really socially, I'd say in some ways like socially advanced than some of the other kids their age that I've met because they're hanging out with grownups, with younger siblings, with older siblings you know, the bigger kids look out for the young, we're all at the beach together and the, you know, 10, 12 year olds are looking out for the three, four year olds and making up games for them and putting on shows for them. It's that can't happen in school with grades and classrooms. It's, it's really beautiful. My daughter has come out of her shell more. She'll talk to other grownups. She'll talk to older kids. She'll look out for younger kids because she's exposed to it all the time. And they are around other kids. They're just not trying to learn maths at the same time. We sit at our dining table and do some fun maths games. And then we go and catch up with homeschool friends at the beach. Then it's not like here, sit with other kids, but don't talk to them. Instead, focus on this mm. worksheet. It's like, no, there's social time. There's learning time. Sometimes happens together when we go on an excursion. It's very organic. I really like mm. it. 
And you know what's really interesting what, uh, when you were talking about that, what I was thinking is that our neurodiverse kids often shut down in the school system. Like, you know, how they're seen as having difficulty socialising or, you know, like the aggression that you were talking about with Aria that you saw, right, which you don't see anymore. Like, you know, um, well, we have know, our moments. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, you, you know, like you don't yeah, want to have that coming home from school and melting down and all that sort of stuff and everything. And I was thinking, isn't that, that's, I was thinking that's a really, really interesting point. So then how come, when that would be such an interesting point to explore, how come they're better off learning in this environment then they, you know, and like you're saying, because there's not these worksheets, there's not the grades. And again, you think about all that grades and everything, it's again, it's compartmentalizing people, it's putting them into boxes and it's labeling them and going, oh, yeah, tick, we've done that worksheet, we've done this, you know. So it all falls back. And I mean, I'm not saying that there's any um, magical cure because the way teaching is set up at the moment, it's not teachers' fault that it's set up that way. It's society's fault that we've set it up that way um you know and that it's you know can't seem to shift beyond that i've got a thing that i say and i'm sure you're aware of this too carly that you know the way that we school hasn't changed since the industrial revolution now workplaces have changed since the industrial revolution um you know offices have changed the way we treat workers has changed but we still want kids to all sit in discs, all sit in a row and be ruled by these bells that tell them when they have to stop, start. We want to control exactly as you're saying, when they go to the toilet, when they can talk to each other, you know, this, this you know, hasn't changed in, you know, in 100 years and we know it definitely hasn't changed since the end of the Second World War, which was 70 years ago. Yeah. Well, all it's they've done, all they've done is they've, they've coloured it in a bit. They've made it look prettier. Yeah. They've dressed it up with some yeah, clothes, yeah, yeah. but it's still the same system. Yeah, yeah. It's still the same. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. I, love, I yeah. love that point that you made. I don't want teachers to ever think that I'm criticising mm-hmm. them as no. individuals. You know, we know that Sammy used to be a teacher and so many of the homeschooling mums that I've met used to be teachers um, mm. or did a teaching degree and, and sort of started. And then I'm like, oh, okay, so that's why you do it because you know how to teach your kid. But they're like, no, I don't teach my kid the way I was taught to teach at all. I became a teacher because I was passionate about kids and about, you know, making the world a better place. But once I was in the system, I realized I couldn't. Like I could not help those kids the way I wanted to help them once I was in the system. And there are a lot of fantastic teachers just doing their best within the system. Mm. And there are some who are like, I'm not willing to anymore. Now that I've got kids, I'm not willing to put my kids in the system. So they're like, well, I'm going to make the difference I wanted to make with my own kids. And that's the beautiful thing about the way we pull together is that we pull our resources. You know, my kids sometimes learn from some of the other parents and it's, it's really and, you know, we're all there as a group and it's really beautiful how that works. But I love that point that you make about, you know, it's, they're in a system and it's the system that's broken. You know, yeah, the teachers can't have a choice. They can't teach the way they'd want to teach. They can't, they can't support kids in the way that they would want to support kids. It's, it's, it's a very, very, and that's why a lot of teachers leave teaching too. And they're exactly. under, they're under-resourced. Yeah, it's exactly worked. my story. <laughs> like yeah. pretty much word for word. Like I went into it and um, I went, oh, 
This is not what I thought it was. Like, this is not, it's just, I I don't see how I can possibly look after this child when I have 20 other children, 30 other children to also be looking after at the same time. And, and, Mm. and you find yourself then relying on behavior techniques, behaviorism, rewards and punishments, because you don't have any other choice to control the crowd. Like, in the classroom to try to get in, you know, trying to get a lesson that you're wanting to teach across to them because you have targets to hit, you have, you know, curriculum to teach, you have certain things that you need to mark off by the end of the year. And it is so hard to make a meaningful impact Mm. on the things that really matter. Because I think what's happening now is we're realizing the things that really matter aren't being able to read and write, aren't like knowing your times tables. It's like, you know, have you developed some sense of, you know, emotion regulation in terms, do you know what your, your feelings are? Can you label them? Can you express them in a way that's safe for other people? Can you, you know, can you develop empathy for other people and understand their perspective as well as your own? Do you know how to stand up for yourself and for other people? Like all of these skills that we just think, go along with it as opposed to being a focus for education. And I, I just think we need a, a complete shift because the, the reading and the writing and all of those things come along when we've dealt with the person first, when we've, when we've looked at, you know, making sure that life skills are embedded, that, that we have, um, you know, respect and understanding and we're going to be a, a citizen who, and, and I think a lot of it comes from, you know, because a lot of our schools are government run, so it's government down. So we want, you know, we talk about citizenship and being good citizens a lot. There's, there's lots of units of study in schools around being a good citizen. And usually that's about, you know, understanding the levels of government and knowing who to vote for and like, what are the policies? It's like, no, 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 no. Being a good citizen is knowing how to stand up when you think that something is wrong and, and, and saying that that's wrong and that's, that's not okay. Is being able to see that someone's getting picked on the playground and going, mm, that's not okay. We don't do that here we look after each other like there's 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 no you know there's all these anti-bullying policies and who's actually teaching these kids how to relate to each other how to understand each other like there's there's no the biggest thing for me that I think that made me leave was was doing yard duty and Mm. seeing other teachers like you know in a school of 300 kids there's a couple of you know maybe three or four teachers out on yard duty so start with that's a lot of kids to just you know each each adult in the areas that they're that they're viewing so all sorts of things can happen in the playground that you can't see so that disturbed me one because I came from early childhood as well which is all about supervision so not being able to see some kids panicked me (laughs) but also there was this you know such an air of oh just don't play with them like if if a kid came to you with a problem which in itself is a skill for them to learn to come to you with that problem but then they were coming to these teachers with the problems and the teachers were going, oh, you know, just play, you know, choose someone else to play with or don't worry about it. You know, there was no teaching of how to deal with that problem. And I just, my mind boggled. And so then I would be spending my whole lunchtime walking around going, okay, well, you tell me what happened first and what did you say to make that person say that? And like, let's get the whole story out of who said what, and then we can work out, okay, what's actually going on and can we like work out this problem to, you know, to make it work better the next day. But then that's exhausting because I'm not having a proper break either in that time. Like I'm having, you know, I'm rushing to eat my lunch before I'm heading into class because I've been spending my whole lunchtime helping these, you know, couple of groups of kids and so the whole system's actually not set up to support teachers to support the kids properly. Mm. And it's, yeah. 
You're, that's um, what I love about the um, the social side of homeschooling is that when you're all together, the parents are there. Yes. Like, so oh. If something happens, you generally can kind of sense it. And it doesn't mean you're helicoptering over them, but you're there and you're able to go like, it's okay, you're safe. Everything's yes. okay. Let's talk about this. And then share. I find a lot of homeschooling parents are pretty, you know, emotionally intelligent. You can really scaffold um, that learning with you them. You really can. Yes. yes. Because actually at that age, at seven, that's so much important, more important than maths, yes. like being able to communicate and, you know, being kind and, and all those and conflict resolution and, and communicating. Understanding your own limits as well, you. like body safety and yes. you know, understanding when like responding to your own feelings within yourself of going, I don't feel safe now. What's going on there? You know, because, because society conditions us to not listen to that stuff. Yes. And it's yes. just not right. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's a huge piece. Um, and I think like when you can set up an environment like that, where a kid can learn, like where a kid feels safe, they're not in survival mode. They're not exhausted. They're not in an, in an environment that is completely unnatural to them in an itchy, heavy, uncomfortable uniform. My kids are barefoot. Most of the time they're in whatever the hell that they want to be wearing, right? They're able to be express themselves like that. So they're not trying to be, oh, am I wearing the cool things or am I behaving in the right way? Or do I have the best gadgets or whatever it is? It's not that. So when you can set up an environment that a kid can thrive in and feel safe and comfortable and natural in, try stopping them from learning. Like Mm. it's not pressure on me to teach them. I'm just there to facilitate their learning, right? I'm there to answer the questions, buy the books, you know, order the games, book the play dates, go to the, drive them to the activities and all of that, and then try and stop them from learning. And so for me, I want to know, I want to know what age they're at, what they should, in inverted commas, know. So at the start of the year, I buy, I go to the teacher's superstore and I buy the activity books for each subject for that year level. And it might cost me a hundred bucks and for both my kids. And I sit there and I flick through it all. I'm like, okay, sweet. We're up to subtraction of small numbers. We're starting to add up bigger numbers. We're starting on timetables. Okay, cool. Science, geography, history. We're learning these concepts. Sweet. Now, how can I make that fun? And how can I fit that in? And so that's for me to know. And then I might pull out some of the activity sheets. They might be super cooler. They might be into them. Aria hates activity sheets. Harry loves them. Aria hates writing. Harry loves it. So this is the thing. I remember talking to you, Sammy, and I'm like, I feel like she should be writing. And we kind of had this conversation where you were like, well, does she know how to write? I'm like, yes, she does. And I'm like, and we sort of talked about the difference between learning and just proving knowledge and how so much of it is just like Aria, you know, I might want to know if she knows her times tables or something. I can have a conversation with her about it. She doesn't have to write it down. Um, she does know how to write. And the other day she was really mad at my partner and she wrote this letter to him where she was expressing her feelings. And I was like, okay, we need to deal with some of the things she said here. But the, but I went, God, her writing's improving though. That's really good. No one made her. If I had have said, you have to sit and write a letter to someone, she would have been like, no. Yeah. But because she felt called to, and, you know, the, yeah. there was a whole other issue, the way that she spoke was okay. <laughs> Um, but I was, I was looking, I'm like, oh, her writing's good. So this is the thing is like, so much of it is actually, we're asking kids to prove knowledge rather than to learn, like learning happens naturally. And there's a whole lot of trust involved. You know, if I look and I'm like, okay, so adding up or how can I do, how can I make this fun? Well, let's go to the shops, give them $5 each and be like, okay, let's work out how many of these you can get with this money. Suddenly we're doing maths, but we're doing it 
together in a way oh. that's fun. We're not doesn't things don't have to happen on worksheets. In a real life situation, no. it actually gives them skills for life as well. Mm. It, mm, that's it's, right. it's not something that they have to take from the paper and then translate into real life. You know, and I think yeah. this is particularly important for and, and why there are so many um, neurodiverse families who decide to homeschool because switching that knowledge, like taking something that you've learned on a piece of paper, taking fractions, for example, or, or percentages from a piece of paper and then applying that knowledge to being able to calculate that on a sale in the shop or something like that mm. is a skill that they often don't have. They can't make those connections. They have to learn the thing that they need to know to then know the thing. And yeah. so... Mm just learning the thing in real life to start with is like cuts out that whole <laughs> lot of work, which is yeah. unnecessary, right? Yeah. Like why do we need to do it on a worksheet first? We just learn how to do it and then we know how to do it. Absolutely. It's so important. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And no, it's, so it's true. really fun bonding time as a family as well. I mean, look, it's challenging. I don't get a whole lot of time to myself. I've got to scaffold myself. I've got to rely on my village you know my mum is a big part of it she does one day a week with them you know I have a babysitter that comes a couple hours in the afternoon so I can work um you know Darren and I this week we're away right now the two of us to have some time for us like yeah I don't get to just drop my kids off at school and have all day to go and do whatever I like I might take my kids to the hair salon with me and and some of that kind of stuff so there are challenges it's not all you know all just rainbows and lollipops Um, But the cool thing about that is that you are forced to deal with issues that come up. It's not like, oh God, when the school holiday's over, I'm so sick of these kids. If I'm feeling like I'm so sick of these kids, then what's the dynamic? Then what's happening? You know, where am I not taking care of myself throughout the day? Um, Where can I organize my day better? So, you know, we have chill time in the afternoon where they can watch a movie or they can, you know, do whatever they like, basically. Um, You know, it, it really gets you to look at, stuff and deal with stuff that comes up in your family because you are together a lot and sometimes learning is happening at seven o'clock at night because you know she said she wants to learn about Mexico so we're having a Mexican themed dinner and watching a movie about Mexico you know like it doesn't happen nine till three at the dining table it just all of life becomes learning and I get to learn really cool stuff in the process Yeah, you would. You would get to learn really, really cool stuff, things that you would never, ever, you, you know, you would never learn otherwise. Um, yeah. And, you know, that's even why things like, um, for example, you know, YouTube and all that sort of stuff are so massive and kids learn so much from watching documentaries on YouTube and that because they're free to go to go and to go and learn and to go and explore. And, I mean, you know, that's what all this fantastic world of social media and, you know, things like YouTube and that have given us, not just as, as adults, but our kids. My kids have, and this is really awful, okay? My kids have learned far more from YouTube and watching documentaries on nature or science, whatever it is they're interested in that they've actually learned at school. Far more. Like they come up with stuff and I'm like, where'd you learn that? Well, I watched it on YouTube. I'm like, wow, really? And they're telling me all the stuff. And I'm like, really? Like, it's amazing. Right, because there these because again, it's the school process is so scripted, right? The educators scripted. The teachers have to follow this curriculum. They've got to tick these boxes, you know. So yeah, yeah. Now, Carly, I'm just thinking we should um, probably 
finish up because we're coming towards the end of our hour. But one last question that I just want to ask you um, was that I remember a while ago I saw one particular post that you put up on Facebook in regards to your daughter and how much you've learned from her. Would you like to share this with the audience, what that post was about, the, um, the wording, if you can remember a bit of the wording and why you put that post? Because I remember that really, really resonated with me, that particular post. It was like, wow, yes, this is it. This is what neuro you know being neurodiverse is about having a mother that understands you and then also to removing that layer if you like of you know the um and and allowing that freedom that you felt have found that the homeschooling has allowed your family to have or you know yeah yeah um I write about her a bit I'm not sure if I'm if I'm certain on the exact post that you're talking about but I can certainly talk to you know the sorts of things I write about and perhaps you yes, can pop a link to that post in the show notes for those yes, who, are, who are listening um but I think one of the things that I love about my beautiful neurodivergent daughter is that she doesn't subscribe to a lot of the world's conditions she rejects a lot of the conditioning that even I have tried to give her about you know being a good girl and all of that sort of thing um she will kind of look and just go that's a stupid rule that doesn't make sense and sometimes I'm like yes but it's a rule and then I'm just like hang on it doesn't make sense you're right who says you have to wear shoes there right you know like those sort of things you know who says you can't wear your pajamas to the shop like you know absolutely um but also that one of the things I love about my daughter is that she actually really doesn't care what the world thinks of her and as someone who has an online presence who is a woman in this world that is something I really admire um I remember saying to her Aria, if you, she'd done something, you know, she'd behaved in a way towards a friend that I was, you know, sort of letting her know that that's, that's not kind or whatever it was. And I said, Aria, if you treat people like that, you're not going to have any friends. And I was feeling really emotional and really triggered and really dumping a whole lot of my emotional baggage all over her. And I can see that now looking back, right? In the moment, I was just feeling very righteous. Um, but looking back, I sort of said that you're not going to have any friends. Don't you understand? And I was feeling so much fear for her that she was going to be lonely. She was going to be sad. And she just looked at me and goes, well, at least I'll have dogs. (laughs) Oh, well, I got to admire that. Right. Like I still need to let her know when she's, you know, behaved in a way that was hurtful to someone because she might not realize and that that can tend to happen. And it happens to me too. You know, when you say something to a friend and they get upset or something and you're like, oh my gosh, I didn't, I'm so sorry. I didn't even think that that would be upsetting. I, gosh, you know, it happens. Right. And so I think it's important that I, you know, can help to point those things out to her when I see them. But I just love the way she was like, it's fine. I'm, I'm going to have dogs. I'm, I'm good. Don't worry about it. Like she doesn't need the world's acceptance. And I'm just like, you've got a lot to teach us you come with wisdom and I think that you know you can go down a real spiritual path around it around neurodivergent people and and that they are you know bringing a new way and a new world um and that's a whole entire rabbit hole in case anyone wants to explore that but I think that there's some merit to that I think that there are the way that um neurodivergent people think is there's a lot we can learn from it you know from those who are coming from a neurotypical lens and and Sammy said to me recently um I was I was venting I was like oh god she's such a so-and-so right like I was really in a state 
Um, <laughs> and Sammy goes, well, yeah, through a neurotypical lens, that's really disrespectful. But through a neurodivergent lens for her to say, you know, sometimes I'll, I'll have a new outfit on. And I'll be like, what do you think? And she'd be like, oh, I hate it. It's horrible. Mm. It's awful. Right. Like, and I'm just like, oh my God, that hurts my feelings so much. But she's just like, she hates it. She doesn't like it. Like it, she's being honest. And so for me, like through a neurotypical lens, I'm not actually convinced I am neurotypical, but I've been programmed to see the world through a neurotypical lens. Mm. I was like, you can't speak like that. And she's just like, well, you asked and I told you the truth. And I'm like, oh God, you're right. I did. And you did. <laughs> and God help me. <laughs> you know, It's very, it takes me to my edges a lot of the time. And it is walking that fine line of, I need to help you to be able to operate in the world without being harmful. But also I need to not tell you that who you are at your core is wrong or bad. It is a dance it is a mm. ride and it's one that I'm I'm signed up for I'm here for and I'm not saying I've got it right and I will muck up time and time again but I'm willing to keep learning keep growing and talking to and listening to people like you guys and keep putting one foot in front of the other yep that's it. I love that. I feel like that's such a beautiful, <laughs> I love that was a great story. I have such a, such a beautiful good story. place. Because so I had something very similar happen with my neurodiverse son. Exactly that. And you're just like, oh, and then they're like, but you asked. You know, mm. I'm just telling you the truth. Like, <laughs> yeah. I well, think Kelly, I think um, <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. Because no, you always know where you stand, right? That's one of the things that drew me to yeah. working with kids. It's like there was no, there was yeah. no pussyfooting around. No, Excuse no. the French. Like and it, it was, yeah. Very, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, Carly, thank you very, very much for coming on with us um, today. Um, so thank you for coming on the podcast. And you're, uh, you're our first person that we've interviewed. So this is very, very special. I love so it. thank well, you so much. You guys did great. I get interviewed a lot and you had some really great questions. So thank you. It was a pleasure. I'm very happy to pop your interviewing cherry um, or to be your interview. Am I the cherry? I don't know. But anyway, it was great. Oh, that's awesome. Thank you. And um, for anyone listening, if you would like to go and follow along with Carly's journey, you can find all of her links in the show notes. Um, I highly recommend that you do because she is very generous with what she shares. Um, And I think I I really admire the way that you learn your lessons. Like you, it it doesn't take someone bending over the head with the same thing, like a lot of us. And I've experienced that a lot in my life where you just kind of go, Oh, what's this nickel thing? I'll look at that. Oh, that, okay, cool. And then we move on to the next thing. And and I really admire that about you. So um, I think definitely if anyone is listening um, to this and has been inspired by Carly's story, then go and follow her journey because you will have many more moments of wisdom to be exposed to if you do. So thank you very much. Thank you, my loves. See you soon. Thank you. Thank you for listening into Nurturing Neurodiversity with me, Patricia Falchetta from Social Living Solutions. And me, Sammy Ann from Map the Maze. If you've enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe through your favourite podcast platform. To continue the conversation, come in and find us on our socials. You can find me on Facebook at Sammy Ann Map the Maze or check out my website www.sammyann.com. 
And you can find me on Facebook too, on Social Living Solutions, or also on my personal page, Patricia Falchetta. You can also find me on Insta at Patricia Falchetta, or my website, which is www.sociallivingsolutions.com.au. All the links to find us are in the description, and we hope you'll join us again next time. Where we'll continue to learn how to create a truly inclusive world for us and for our children.